uh, as he comes to this portion of Romans chapter 6, and he makes mention of this fact that you will know who you are servant to by who you obey. His servants you are to whom you obey, he says. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And even though we're not under the law anymore, we've been delivered. Uh, the Bible says in verse 14 that sin shall not have dominion over you. It doesn't rule over us anymore. We've been given a way of escape. It does not mean then that we just go out here and live however we want to. Because we're not under the law anymore, we're under grace. In fact, he goes on to express the fact that we will be able to give an, a testimony, if you will, or an outward expression of who we're serving by who we obey. And so you can look at a person's life and find out who their heart is given to, who they've decided they're going to follow whether the things of this world or whether the things of the Lord, by watching their life and seeing who they obey. A lot of people say, well, and they misuse and misquote a passage of Scripture when Samuel went to anoint David as king, when the Bible tells us that man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And a lot of times people will take that verse to try to defend the fact that it does not matter what the outside is. And that the only thing that really matters is what the inside is. Now, I will agree that the inside is the most important of the two. And that's what God was expressing in this. But as we've said the last couple of weeks, it is possible to outwardly put on an act and act like you're clean and act like you're holy and act like you're righteous. But the heart can be wicked and evil and ungodly on the inside. It's possible to do that. But it is impossible for the heart to be right, to be pursuing after the things of the Lord, to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul and all of our mind, and the outside not be what it should be. I've often made the statement when I've preached on certain topics and certain issues that it's a shame in the day that we live that it has to be preached on. As Christians, our hearts ought to be so in tune and so walking with God in close fellowship that it should automatically happen outwardly. It shouldn't have to be something we have to preach on. Now, I, I know we have to, because sometimes there's uh, forgetfulness. Sometimes we get encumbered with the affairs of this life, and the world begins to grab a hold of us again. And there's times we need to be by way of remembrance, by way of uh, exhorting and even reproving sometimes from the Word of God that some of these things have to be preached on and they have to be dealt with. And I think some of the problems we face today is that uh, we don't preach on them as often maybe as we need to. But it's a shame that we need to, isn't it? If, if the heart is what produces the outward fruit, why do we have to preach on these things? If we've matured in the Christian life, if we're walking with God the way that we should, the outside should follow suit. And we can judge who we're serving by who we obey. And I would go so far as to say this, that when it comes to me measuring my life as to how I measure up in my obedience, when it comes to you measuring your life by the Word of God and its obedience to the Word of God, 
you can mark it down that your obedience is directly related to who your heart is following. Who you long to serve. Are you serving the flesh? Are you serving the old man? Are you serving the, the old nature of sin and death? Or are you serving the things of the Lord? Pursuing after Him? Because the Bible tells us that we are, that, we are servants to the one that we obey. Look with me, if you will, in 1 John, and we're going to lay a little bit more foundation here, and then we're going to get into some very uh, key and practical things uh, that we can measure by according to Scripture. 1 John chapter 2, if you will, 1 John chapter 2, if you go all the way back to Revelation, the end of the Bible, and go back just a few pages, you'll be at 1 John uh, just right before Revelation. So if you get to the end of the Bible, go back just a little bit, you're there. 1 John chapter number 2. And let's look in verse number 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. Boy, isn't that a wonderful verse for Christians? I don't know about you, that, that, I love that verse. Now again, it kind of goes hand in hand with what Paul was saying. Does that mean then that it doesn't matter how we live because we have an advocate with the Father? There's people out there today that will give the argument that I, all i got to do is confess my sin to the Lord and get it right with Him after I've sinned. And so I can go out here and sin all I want to because God will forgive me each time I do it. I'm thankful God will forgive us each time we do it, but that does not give us the right to go out here and be disobedient to Him, to test Him, to prove Him over and over again. And so he tells us here that these things were written unto us that we what? Verse number one. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye what? Sin not. In other words, the important thing is be obedient to what God has. But when we do sin, it's good for us to know we have an advocate with the Father. So we understand what John is saying here. He's not giving you license to sin here. In fact, he tells you right at the very beginning, I'm writing these things that you sin not. Now he says in verse number 2, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And hereby, notice this, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a what? A liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Now I want to give you three things from this passage very quickly. Number one, when our obedience is what it should be, it will be a testimony to others that we know Christ. Notice what he says here in verse number three. And hereby we do know, not just I, but those around me even, Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. In other words, one of the outward fruits of, my obedience, of, of me knowing Christ is that I obey Him. It is a testimony to others. Number two, I want you to notice this. Verse number three. I'm sorry, verse number... Uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, verse number four. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar... And the truth is not in him. Number two, obedience is not only a testimony for others to know that we know Christ, 
but it is something that brings confirmation to our hearts that we know Christ. I know this when I keep his commandments. But whoso keepeth his word, verse number 5, in him verily is the love of God perfected, hereby know we that we are in him. Not only does it tell other people that I know Christ, but it helps bring a sense of security and not doubt that I know Christ. When my desires are to, to, to do the things that God has for me to do, when I, my love for Him is such that I long to be obedient to Him, it helps me to go to bed at night thinking, boy, I know that I'm saved because something's different in here than it used to be. And so not only does obedience show others that I'm saved, it helps me know and it helps solidify in my heart that God has done a transforming work in my life by putting my faith in Him. And I want you to know, thirdly, that obedience is the fruit that is produced when I begin to mature in the Christian life. Notice what he says in verse number uh, 4. I'm sorry, uh, uh, verse number uh, 5, excuse me. But whoso keepeth his word, okay, that would be obedience to his word, in him verily is the love of God, what's the next word here? Perfected. There's a growth in my life. I'm growing in the Christian life. One of the measuring marks of whether I'm growing in my walk with the Lord is whether or not I'm obedient to him. If I am constantly disobeying Scripture and doing it willingly and doing it without conscience, then I'm not growing spiritually. And in fact, it's a good possibility, according to what John says here, that I don't even know Him. Because when I know Him, one of the fruits of that is I want to obey Him. There comes a desire to do so. There comes a soberness of mind that's bent towards the obedience of Christ. It didn't used to be there. And I'll be real frank with you. I got saved when I was 13 years old. Some of you got saved at an older age than that. And I know, these, sometimes, I, I, you know sometimes when kids get saved at five or six years old, I think sometimes kids can certainly be saved at that age. There's no doubt. But I wonder sometimes if they see the big change or the difference God made in their heart at that age. At 13 years of age, I'm going to tell you right now, when I got up off of my knees in that office that day, there was something different in my life. And it's never been the same since. Now, I'm not saying that there's not been valleys. I'm not saying there's not been times in my spiritual life where I've been cold and away from the Lord and not as on fire for Him as I should have been. And I think we all go through times of, of being excited about the things of the Lord and sometimes of... Uh, there, there being a, those times where we just feel like we're distant from Him. But there has never been a time from that time until this present day that I have not been able, when doubts have come into my heart and said, Greg, are you really even saved? I can easily look back to that day and say, yes, I am, because there's something that wants to obey Him that wasn't there before. There's something that's deep down in my heart that is different than before I got saved. And it helps give me assurance. It helps solidify in my life that I'm saved. Because I love this. And, and, and there's things I long for. And when I don't obey, it bothers me. There's a conscience there. 
And so the Bible tells us here, and John tells us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that, that when we obey, it's a sign of the love of Christ being perfected in us, that we're growing in the grace and the knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a maturing that goes on there. And this is one of the fruit that is produced as we mature in the Lord. Now, let's look at a couple things here. The importance of obedience. It's a testimony to others. It's, it's a security to my heart and helps strengthen my faith in the fact that I am saved, that I belong to Him, that I know Him. And it surely is something that is a sign of maturing in the Christian life. The more we obey, the more mature we become. Well, let me rephrase that. I would say the more mature we become, the more we obey. Now, as we come back in our Bibles, let's go to the book of James, just back a few more pages, not very far, just probably 8 or 10, 20 pages in your Bible. James chapter number 1. I'm going to look at the opposite side of obedience for a few, a couple, couple passages here and look at some things that are marked by disobedience, all right? James chapter 1 and verse number 22, James makes this statement, But be ye doers of the word. Now, we would call that obedience, all right? We're going to obey what the Bible says. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. What's the next phrase here? Four words. Deceiving your own selves. Can I tell you this? That when we are disobedient, we are deceiving our own hearts, our own selves. That's what James speaks of here. Somebody that hears the word but does not do it. We would say that is a disobedient person. And when we're disobedient, lest we think that we're not hurting or harming anything or anyone, we are. We are deceiving. And we're not just deceiving any person, we're deceiving ourselves, the Bible says. So disobedience, the importance of obedience is again laid out in seeing what the the results of disobedience are. If you'll turn to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter number 6, Jesus is really kind of rebuking uh, this idea of disobedience. Luke chapter number 6 and verse number 46. I'm going to back up. Let's back up just a little bit to verse number 43. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit. By the way, I really wish more Christians, more people would understand this truth. A lot of people, again, it deals with the issues of where we are in the day that we live where so many people who profess to be saved. And when I say profess to be saved, again, if we follow some of the truth that we're going to see here tonight, if there's not obedience or at least a desire for obedience or at least a conscience when we don't obey, I would be looking, if I were in those situations, I would be looking at my own soul. Am I truly saved? Have I truly been born again? Is the Holy Spirit of God truly living inside of me? If I don't experience any of that, I would wonder whether or not I'm saved. And so we get here and we look at verse number 43. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is what? Known by their own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, 
nor a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And notice verse number 46. I want you to see it. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? What does it mean when we call Jesus our Lord? Now, we're not talking about the all capital letters of the Old Testament that often refers to God the Father in His, in His role as uh, Almighty God. We're talking here in lowercase o-r-d, and it refers to the title that is given to the Lord Jesus Christ. When I tell someone that you are my Lord, what I am doing is taking and saying, I am taking all of my will and giving it over to you, and you now, as my Lord, have absolute and full control of me. You have every right to tell me anything you want to tell me to do. And I have no right, since I have now given you my will, I have no right then to question your will for me. You are my Lord. Everything you tell me, I will obey. That's what the title of Lord reflects. Now notice what he says here. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Can I tell you this? That when we disobey God, we do not give Him His rightful place in our hearts. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 8 if you'd like to turn there, you can. I'll read it to you if, if you don't make it there in time by the time I get there. But Colossians chapter number 1 and verse number 8. Paul writes this. Uh, I'm sorry, I got the, wrong, got the wrong passage here. Colossians 1. Uh, the the uh, verse on preeminence, and I'm, I apologize. I, got the wrong, I wrote the wrong reference down. But, but the Bible says that in all things he might have, and I'll have to get you the reference later, that in all things he might have the preeminence in all things of my life. The Lord Jesus is to have the preeminence in my life. Everything that I do is supposed to be up to him. It's supposed to be his will. And I'm to be submitted to that, and I'm to yield myself to it. And if I call him my Lord Jesus Christ, then by saying that, I'm saying I want him to have absolute and full authority and control of me. But then I go and don't do what he says. So by doing this, disobedience is taking God out of his rightful place in our lives and putting something else in his place. You would call that idolatry in the Old Testament. Oftentimes in the New Testament you would call that. Where something else takes the place of God in our lives. And so disobedience is something that will cause us to deceive ourselves. It will cause us to not give God his rightful place. Now, let's look at some things that the Bible tells us are marks, measuring marks, benchmarks, I would say, of an obedient uh, person. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 1. I've tried to put these fairly, much, uh, fairly in order. 
Go to Ephesians chapter 1 first. Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to notice in verse number 1 that Paul tells the folks in Ephesus, he says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. In other words, we are to follow God the way that children are supposed to be following those that are in authority over them. All right? So keep that in mind as we go over to the next chapter, chapter number 6 and verse number 1. Children, okay, well, wait a minute. He just told me to follow him as dear children, and now he's giving some instruction to children. So I want to see, okay, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing when I'm following him as dear children? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In other words, we are to obey our parents the way that we are to obey the Lord. How are we to obey the Lord? Every time. Without question. And notice he says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. For this is right. Can I tell you this? As, as our desire to obey the Word of God, as we grow in this, in this grace of the Christian life called obedience, there will become a stronger desire to do it, not because we gain anything from it, but simply because we know it's right to do. We just do it because it's the right thing to do. And there will become more and more of a desire to do things, not because it's something I gain from it, but because it's the right thing to do. And, and oftentimes we, we raise children, we teach children as they're growing up, uh, if you do this, I'll give you this. And we give them an incentive for it. Can I tell you this, that before you ever incentivize anything, they need to learn to obey because it's right first. Now notice what verse 2 says. It says, honor. Now honor is a different word than obey. You know how I know? They're spelled differently. So it's a different word, okay? Honor thy father and mother. Notice this, which is the first commandment with what? Promise. So if I can learn to do what I'm told to do simply because it's right, And through doing that, I begin to have a desire to do it because I love them and I want to honor them in my obedience. Now rewards come. Now there's promise that's given. But obedience is to be done because it's right. And so he teaches us two principles here that, first of all, we should be following God not because we gain anything from it, but because it's right. He said, Pastor, why should I obey the Bible? <laughs> is, it, is God going to do this great thing for me if I obey Him? It shouldn't be your desire. Your desire should be to obey Him simply because it's the right thing to do. But isn't it wonderful when we get to the place where not only do we do it because it's the right thing to do, but now we begin to do it because we love Him so much we just want to honor Him. And I don't think that you can have the one without the other. I don't think you can get to the place of honoring unless you can be at the place of doing it because it's right. Now look with me in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter number 9. Jesus again speaking here in verse number 23. Luke chapter 9. 
in verse number 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. What's he talking about here? He's talking about us giving our will to Him and following Him, being obedient to Him. And there's some things that that take place here. Those that are going to follow Him, those that are going to be obedient to Him, those that are going to lose their life for His sake, is the way he words it in the next verse, are going to be willing to deny themselves. One of the marks of our obedience to Christ is, Growing the way that it should in the Christian life, maturing, being perfected in our lives, is that we will begin to realize that we will need sometimes to deny ourselves in order to obey. There's going to be times our will is going to be different. The flesh is going to desire something other than obedience. I'll be real frank with you. There are things in Scripture that sometimes I have to bring myself into subjection to because the flesh doesn't want to do it. And so there's going to have to be some self-denial. And one of the marks of our obedience maturing is when we start realizing that I have begun to deny myself on some things in order to be obedient to Christ. There are those that are obedient to Christ that are the fair-weather obeyers, I call them, or those that do it when it's convenient Uh, when it doesn't cost them something. But one of the marks of a maturing attitude towards obedience to Christ is when we get to the place where we're willing to obey even if it's going to cost me something to do so. That's when I know my maturity in obedience is growing. When I'm getting to the place in the Christian life where I'm not on the milk of the Word anymore, I'm there, there's some things taking there, some roots deepening in my Christian life in this area of obedience. And then not only to deny myself, but notice he says, secondly, to take up your cross. The Bible says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up, not Christ's cross, that was for him to bear. The Bible says, take up his cross, his burden, his weight. To take up his cross, and I like this. What's the next word in the verse? Take up his cross what? Daily. Can I encourage you in this? Obedience is not a decision you make one time and you never have to deal with it again. It's a struggle you will have every single day of your life. There is a cross to bear. There is something that costs us something in order to follow Christ. So a mark, a benchmark, a measuring stick, an inch on the spiritual ruler of obedience, if you will, is marked by being willing to obey even if it costs me. All right? Look with me now in the book of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14, and verse number 15. John chapter 14, verse number 15. Jesus said, If you love me, 
keep my commandments. In other places in Scripture, this theme is put together. That our love for Him is displayed by our obedience to Him. Herein do men know that ye love me if ye keep my commandments. And so the idea of our love for the Lord being what it should, the outward fruit of that, that just automatically happens when we love God the way that we should, obedience is the fruit of that. And if obedience is not the fruit, then we can rest assured our love for Him is not what it should be. Somewhere along the line, our love for Him has waned and grown cold. And love of self has taken its place. Love of my own self-satisfaction, my own will, has taken the place of my love for God. And so I would say this, the next mark of measurement of our obedience maturing and growing the way that it should biblically is that there will be an outward outward, uh, fruit of obedience as our love for God matures as we grow, as we walk daily with Him, as we grow closer to Him day by day. You want to know if somebody's... I don't want to say that. I don't even want to say I was going to say, you want to know if somebody's walk with God is what it should be, see what their obedience is. Can I tell you this? We have enough to worry about looking at our own selves in this matter. Don't worry about judging somebody else's on it for right now. Look at your own heart. Am I obeying Him? And... If I am obeying Him, is it just something I'm doing superficially, outwardly, that my heart doesn't really desire to do? Obedience ought to be something that is a natural byproduct of our love for Him growing day by day. It ought to be that. It it may not always be that, but it ought to be that. That's what the Bible teaches. Romans chapter 12, you guys know this verse. Verse number 1, most of you can quote it. I beseech you therefore, brethren. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So we're dealing here with giving our bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, taking our will and saying, Lord, I have no will of my own. I want only to do what your will is. We would call this obedience, all right, only doing what His will is. And I would say this, that when our obedience matures and is growing the way that it should, we will not look at obedience, we will not look at giving our will over entirely to Christ as something that is extraordinary. It'll just be the norm, and we won't care if somebody notices it or not, because that's just what ought to happen in every Christian's life. This is not exceptional. It's not something I deserve a pat on the back for or recognition for. It's just something that ought to be. It's just the reasonable service. And when we get to the place where we're not prideful of our obedience, we just look at it and say, if somebody says, boy, you're really good, you're obeying God in this matter. Okay, but isn't that what everybody's supposed to do? And that's the mindset that we'll begin to have towards obedience to Christ, that this is not something that I'm, I'm looking at as some exceptional spirituality in my life. It's something that's just the norm. Something that ought to just be the normal, everyday fruit of living the Christian life. And this is how we know that we're maturing in our area of obedience. When we get to the place where obedience is now reasonable service to us, it's not something extraordinary. It's not something we look at and say, well, only the most spiritual people are able to be obedient. No, no. Every Christian ought to be obedient. 
Every Christian. And it ought to be the norm, not the exception. We live in a day, and I think you would agree with me on this. Most everybody here should probably agree with this. We live in a day where obedience to Christ, it's not the norm. And we're not talking about in the lost people's lives. We're talking about in lives of even Christians. Oftentimes, it's not the norm. It's the exception. Can I tell you this? It ought to be just the reasonable service that we have for the Lord. Romans chapter 13, if you go over just one more chapter, verse number 5. Romans chapter 13 and verse number 5. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject. The idea of being subject, again, being under God's authority, being obedient to Him, being yielded, submissive to Him. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. So understanding this, that there's, there's certainly the doctrine and the principle of the fact that whom the Lord loveth, He scourgeth and chaseth every son. That when we disobey, we do get the chastening of God in our lives oftentimes. We may get it right away. Sometimes it's delayed and we just God gives us the consequences of that disobedience and that's our chastening. Sometimes it's chastening that's to come yet down the road that we don't even know about yet. But chastening comes to those that God loves when we disobey. And so a lot of times we, we obey simply because we don't want to be chastened. But I want you to notice that he tells us here in verse number uh, 5 that we don't do it just for the sake of the fact that God's wrath will be there, that we'll have uh, this chastening. But we also do it for what? Conscience sake. Can I tell you this? When our obedience matures in the Christian life, it will be obvious because our consciences will be much more clear than they used to be. Can I encourage you in this? There is a possibility, and the Bible speaks of this, that we can become so accustomed to sin that we can quench the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. We can scar the conscience in such a way that it becomes to the place where it doesn't sense how sinful sin is. We can spurn the conscience. We can cause it... If we continue to just sin and sin and sin and and buck against the conscience that God has given us by the Holy Spirit, there's a time where we we can quench that convicting power of the Holy Spirit. But when my obedience, my, my maturity in desiring to obey Christ grows the way that it should, my conscience is much more sensitive to things. And as I obey Him more and more, I will realize that I have much more peace in my life. My conscience doesn't bother me the way that it used to. Because we're being more obedient. Now, if we're not being obedient and you're not having as much conscience as you used to, you need to look at your conscience. Because it could very well be that you're quenching the Holy Spirit in your life. But one thing that is a mark of our obedience, he talks about this in verse 5, where you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For conscience sake. All right, let's go to Acts chapter number 5. 
back just a few pages. Acts chapter 5. And I've got just a few more. If you'll hang in there with me, we'll be done here in just a couple minutes. Acts chapter 5. Verse number 29, Acts chapter 5 and verse number 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So when we talk about obedience, we're not just talking about obedience generally to everybody. We're talking about obedience to God specifically. And when it comes down to if there is a contradiction between what men are demanding of you and what God has given us in His Word that He expects us to do. We have a choice to make. And as our obedience matures and becomes what it should be in the Christian life, there will be a desire to obey God rather than men. We would rather be right with God and pay the penalty of what it costs us to disobey men as our obedience matures, as it becomes what it should be. And so there will be a a desire to obey God above what men demand of us. Now, the Bible teaches us that as long as we can, as much as within us is, that we're to live peaceably with all men. It tells us that we're to be subject to principalities and powers and civil matters. But when it comes to things of the Word of God and moral issues, if there is a conflict between what men say and what God says, we're to obey God. And as we mature in our obedience, there will be more of a firmness, a resolve, a steadfastness, if you will, in this issue to where it won't even be a decision for us to make. If man comes against us and tells us we have to do something defiant to God's Word, totally against God's Word, as as a Christian, as my obedience grows, it ought to get to the place where there's not even a question about it. And so these disciples were asking this question, or stating this question, in verse number 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Another place where they were giving uh, an answer to the ones that were telling them, Don't go out and preach anymore in Jesus' name. They said, Should we obey God rather than men? Or, uh, God rather than men? Uh, and they were, they were putting to the, to the question. The answer was, Yes, we should obey God rather than men. All right, look at, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. We've got three more to go and we're done. And we'll be done here in just a moment. We're going through them quickly. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 5. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 5. This is written to earthly relationship of servants and masters, but I want you to notice how it's written. He says in verse 5, Servants... Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of heart. And I want you to notice this phrase, as unto Christ. In other words, the things he's getting ready to instruct you to do with your earthly servants and masters are the same things you ought to be doing when it comes to your obedience to Christ. And so notice what he says here, verse number 6, Not with eye service as mid-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the what? From the heart. All right, I've got written down here, obedience, when it matures the way that it should, will obey even when it is not seen or recognized by men. We call this character. We don't just obey when people are watching. We don't just obey because we're worried that our testimony may be spoiled. That's not the reason we obey. 
we obey because it is right. And we obey Christ not with eye service as men pleasers, not just when they're looking. We obey all the time. That means even when nobody's looking. When nobody is going to recognize it. And those that will be obedient only when people are looking and then are disobedient whenever nobody's around, they've not matured in the Christian life. Their obedience is immature at best. And so we find here that there's a principle that obedience is to be done whether it's seen or recognized by men or not. First Peter chapter 1. And we're almost to the end. As you can tell, we're getting close to the end of the Bible. So, First Peter chapter 1, verse number 14. First Peter 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse number 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. One of the marks of an obedient child is we do not follow the things we used to before we got saved. We don't follow the former lusts. There is a change from those things that we used to do to the things that we do now. I, I, I'm appalled. I'm amazed at how... I'm, I'm, I don't even want to use the word amazed. I'm shocked at how many churches bring worldliness right into the church. I'm amazed at how many Christians bring worldliness right into their homes. And the idea that we used to live that way before we got saved, and there's no big change, no big difference, then we haven't matured in the, this area of obedience. We've not grown in the area of obedience. There ought to be a change. There ought to be a marked difference. And this is, again, a measuring mark that we can go by. Do I still follow the things of the world all the time? And that's my desire. That's where my heart is all the time. That's where my affection is set. Then there's something wrong. There's something wrong. I know we're tempted and there's times we go after the flesh inadvertently, but it ought not be the continuous desire of our hearts to do so. It ought not to be the things that we have the appetites for all the time. There ought to be a change from those former lessons. First John chapter five. First John chapter five and verse number three. First John chapter five, verse number three. I, I like this one. I, I think it's one of the very important ones, especially. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not what? Grievous. As our obedience, this Christian grace of obeying Christ grows. As our walk with Him and our yieldedness of our will to Him grows and matures. We'll begin to realize more and more that the things He gives us by way of commandment, they are not grievous to us. You'll begin to realize as you do it more and more and as you grow in your obedience to Christ, that there becomes more and more of a desire to do the things of the Lord. These commands that I've, I don't know, and I'm sure some of you have talked to people like this when you talk to them about getting saved. And there's people I've talked to that I've shared the gospel message with, and one of their comments to me has been, "I, I would have to give up too much that I enjoy to become a Christian because I know the Bible tells me I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this." Can I tell you this? When we get saved and our obedience begins to mature, we don't look at the commands of God that way anymore. They are not grievous to us. They're not things we look at and despise and do grudgingly. Or at least they should be. And the more we mature in that, the more we grow in grace, the more that we walk with Him and draw closer to Him, 
the more precious doing and obeying His commandments become to us. And so if the things of the Bible are grievous to us and we, we despise doing them and we do them grudgingly and we do them with a poor attitude, then we need to ask God to help us to mature in our obedience, to grow in our love for Him, to grow in our desire for those things. I want to leave you with one last verse. This isn't one of the measuring points, but it's, it's something that I think ends the series well. And that's in Ecclesiastes, back in the Old Testament. If you go to Psalms, and then work towards the right-hand side, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Alright? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and I think it's a great verse to end the series on. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And verse number 13. Solomon had tried every vain thing under the sun, seeking to find pleasure and seeking to find fulfillment. And he found that all was vanity. And at the end of his 13 or 12 chapters here of of expressing all that he did to seek for fulfillment in life, he comes to this conclusion, verse number 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. At the end of the day, I've talked with some folks, more more than one, on the subject of obedience. I think God's desire certainly is that we obey because of our love for Him. That love is our motivating factor that drives us to obedience. I'll tell you, obedience is so much sweeter when it's done that way. But even if my love is not what it should be, does that then give me the excuse to not obey? No. The conclusion of the whole matter is, I need to fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And so I hope that will be a help to you. Some things we can measure uh, ourselves by. Not looking at, do I obey more than that person does or do I obey more than that person does? But rather, too, I take my, do I take my life and lay it alongside these principles from this book and say, how do I measure up? Have I met those, have I met those measuring marks? Am I maturing in the Christian life in the area of obedience? So I hope that will help you. Let's go ahead and stand we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we pray that you'll bless the teaching that we've done these last several weeks in this series. And Lord, I hope it's been beneficial. And Lord, perhaps down the road there will be some other subjects we'll bring out and, and